broadcasting from their world headquarters in Texas. It's the Arcade Repair Tips Live Show. The show that discusses arcade repair, restoration, news, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Tim and Jonathan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the uh, March 2020 episode of the Arcade Repair Tips Live Show. Tim, I believe this is episode 37. It's hard to believe we've got that many in the books. But anyway, my name is Jonathan Leung, and I'm the producer, director, and editor of the Arcade Repair Tips video series. And joining me today, as always, is Mr. Arcade Repair Tips himself and recently birthday boy, Tim Peterson. (laughs) How are you doing, Tim? I'm thankful to be here. That's right. You had a birthday just a couple days ago. Yeah. Pretty, so, pretty big birthday. I told you happy birthday a couple times. I'll tell you happy birthday again. Thank so, you very there you much. Go. So how did your birthday go and how have things been going as far as Mr. Gaddy's and other things are concerned? Well, it's, uh, it was great because uh, you and some guy friends, we all went to the XFL game That's right. Sunday. And I took the day off Monday and I just rested and then uh, family threw a little party it was just what I needed, a little, just a little R&R. That's good to hear it. So, well, again, happy birthday. Hope you had a great one. And we want to also wish you a happy birthday if you're having one this month because we probably won't see you t- again until <laughs> April. And we do want to mention a programming note, guys. That it's going to be kind of a condensed show tonight, Tim. Part of the reason is because... Uh, my internet actually went down like two days ago, and I just uh, basically got back there with some wires and duct tape and got it all running <laughs> again. So we don't know how long it's going to stay running. <laughs> if it goes to black, then you'll know that there is an issue. But uh, obviously having a couple of internet issues, hopefully we've resolved those for the most part. Also, Tim, uh, my wife is sick, and so I'm having to play a little bit of doctor and taking care of kids. And so no after show tonight, okay. Okay, which is kind of disappointing, no after show. And we may cut some things during the show depending on how we're doing on time. So it's going to be kind of condensed. Hopefully you'll you'll hang in there with us though as we answer your questions and talk about some arcade repair related issues, Tim. So, right. Is there anything you want to bring up before we get started here into some questions? Anything uh, uh, you got going on otherwise besides the stuff I asked you about? It's a lot going on, but I'm not really ready yet. Okay. <laughs> we'll, not ready we'll, to talk about. It. We'll make that announcement soon. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Well, guys, again, remember you can join us in the live chat, so you can leave your messages there, and we'll try to address them as we get on in the show. And we have uh, the Regzer Show is here. We we see a couple of uh, little hand signals there, Tim. Thumbs up's always good. Okay. Uh, we got Mr. Dwayne says, hello, guys. Hello. Uh, we got the Real Hammer, Billy Lee says, hello, Tim and Jonathan. Hello. Hi, Billy. So, uh, we want to thank all you guys for joining us. And again, leave your questions and comments in the live chat. And if you feel so inclined, you can click the little dollar sign down there in the live chat, Tim, and leave us a little tip uh, letting right. us know how we did. Or you can go to arcaderepairtips.com slash donate to donate to the show. We appreciate all donations. So, Well, guys, we have a lot to cover. And like I said, not a whole lot of time to do it in. So I think we're going to go ahead and get into the show real quick. So the first one here, Tim, is we have a follow-up from Greg, the Regzer Show, who's actually here okay. in the uh, live chat with us tonight, and he actually, uh, oh, see, hitting wrong buttons already. There we go. So, uh, kind of a follow-up, Tim, okay. but kind of not, too. It turned out he actually picked up, it looks like, this new Tato Game Room Classics cab. Okay. So, he says, I cleaned up a Tato Game Room Classics cab and turned it on to look at the screen. Is the RGB issue correctable? As you can see, the color issues on the monitor, corners, and bottom. Also, how do I clean this thing in the back without damaging it? It is filled with dust and dirt. Now, Tim, we have uh, this Tato Game Room Classics, and I don't know if you're familiar with this cabinet in particular, Tim. I've seen it before. It's a home-use cabinet. Yeah. I don't believe they came with coin doors even. So this was something that was made for the home-use market. Now, more expensive than what we got with like the Arcade 1-Ups, obviously. 
and full size, which uh-huh. is something that the arcade one ups are not as well. But uh, Tim, obviously, he's asking about the RGB issue, and I'll bring up the outline screen here so you can see it. And you can see he's getting a little bit of discoloration around the corners, maybe around the bottom there. You see that little green uh-huh. patch in the bottom right hand corner of the screen, and a little red patch down in the bottom left. And so, what does he need to do in order to correct uh, these uh, RGB? color issues. It looks like he needs to degauss it at this right. point. And, and we it, talked about this, I think, last month with Andy and the Frogger, right? Uh-huh. Where, I mean, Andy was having a ton of discoloration, and using a degaussing coil fixed it right up. Right. And so, in Greg's case here, we're going to recommend the same thing. Picking up a degaussing coil or degaussing wand, and using that on the screen. And Tim, we have a great video on using a degaussing coil that you can check out, so we would highly recommend that. Now, Tim, as far as the cleaning up the cabinet is concerned, he says it's super dusty. Okay? Yeah. So is there a way that he can get all that dust out of there without damaging it? Well, you, you do have to be careful, but not super careful. It's like, you, you know, it can take a lot more than, than you think. So, of course, normally you're going to unplug the game. You can take an air hose. If you don't have, like, an air compressor with an air hose, you can even buy canned air and try to get some of that out of there. But, you know, just blowing dust, it's just going to settle back down. So I would highly recommend a shop vac, maybe with like a soft bristle on the end or something. Um, anywhere where your electronic components and stuff where you have to be careful. One thing we mentioned before is like kind of like my daughter uses a makeup brush. Right. Those are real soft bristles, and you can buy them really big sometimes. Those work really good for around electronic boards and the capacitors and stuff. So you can kind of dust some of those uh, sensitive areas with something like that. But go ahead and uh, use a shop vac or something. Try to get as much of that dust out of there. And uh, just be careful. You know, uh, like I said, it's, it's tougher. I don't, you know, you don't have to be so delicate that, um, you know, we vac, we vac, when I was at Chuck E. Cheese, we vacuumed them out all the time, blew them out with air hoses. No problems. Uh, just have to be careful when you get in there. Sounds good. Now, Tim, I think you mentioned that you really want to do like the blowing off of the electronic components or the dusting off before you vacuum. That way, right. all that dust will kind of settle in the bottom of the cabinet and you can just suck yeah, it Yeah, then right you up. can just suck a lot of it up. You're right. right. And the brush attachment, I think, is key, Tim. That helps a lot in getting into those areas that uh, that may be hard, which it, that, well, let's just be honest, that it may not work with just the vacuum. You may need something to kind of move the dust around in order to suck it. Maybe up. so. So there you go. So, Greg, hopefully that, was, that, that answers your right, questions. Now, on the, you know, the extreme, we ha- you can take the boards all the way out. Right. And we talked about run them through a dishwasher and all that stuff. Just make sure that'll get them clean or spraying them outside with Simple Green, stuff like that. Just need to make sure they dry uh, completely. You usually wait a few days before you try to reinstall them. Absolutely. And if you're going to run through the dishwasher, Tim, obviously no detergent. Right. <laughs> I think we've talked about that before. Yeah. But uh, in gentle setting, if you've mm-hmm. got a gentle setting, okay? So, but uh, yeah, that really is another option for you. But in most cases, Tim, I think we're just going to dust off the board and probably suck out the dust, right? More than likely, yeah. So there you go. So uh, the Regzer Show hopefully answers your question. And good luck uh, with the discoloration issue and cleaning up that Tato Game Room Classics arcade game. Okay, Tim, we have uh, Danny in the live chat, too. He says, hello, nice seeing you again, guys. So there oh, you hey, Danny. So there you go. We've got a couple of the regulars here, and we want to thank all you guys for joining us again tonight. Now, I mentioned this uh, at the top of the show, Tim, but some people may just now be joining us, and we want to remind them, no after show tonight, and it's going to be kind of a condensed show due to some uh, you know sickness, illness issues, mm-hmm. and then also uh, some internet issues. And so sorry about that, but we're going to try to get as much in as we possibly can. So with that in mind, Tim, let us continue on our journey. And the next question we have is from Daniel. And I'm going to go ahead and put this up here, Tim. 
Hi, I have a multi-cade 30, 39 games in one and the CRT failed. I'm trying to switch to a regular 19 inch monitor. I removed the CRT and plugged in the new monitor, but I am not getting a picture. I, I honestly am not sure if the card is correct. It came with the arcade. Would you be able to look at the picture attached and possibly offer advice on what I am doing wrong? Thank you, Daniel. Now he's got his pictures here, Tim, and it looks like he's got the VGA port on the 39-in-1 board right. hooked directly to the monitor in the VGA slot, which should right. work. But what other things do you think Daniel's missing here in order that's maybe preventing him from actually using this monitor with this board? Well, there should be a dip switch setting that you have to tell it in order to um, to make that work. Right. So just because you plugged it in, it's not a plug and play until you change the setting. So I, I'm betting that he needs to go in and change the dip switch to the correct setting to get that to work. Yeah, and a lot of people who may not be familiar with the 39-in-1, Tim, it's mm -hmm. basically an older version of the 60-in-1. Right. And a lot of people are familiar with the 60-in-1 that it actually does have a dip switch that allows you to switch between what we call CGA and VGA modes. Most computer monitors, like the one you're hooking up, is a VGA-style monitor, and it'll need that dip switch set in order for it to... to use the proper display mode. And so that is very important that you do that. And so Tim, I'm gonna go ahead and put the slide up here. From the pictures, Tim, and I actually zoomed in on the pictures he gave mm -hmm. us, it looks like he has dip switch two set to off. Okay. Well, according to the manual, dip switch two needs to be set to the on position in order to get the board to display in VGA mode and work with a computer monitor. Try changing this dip switch value accordingly and let us know if it solves your issue, Tim. And we also went ahead and put the the link to the manual here okay. so that way he'll have it and like i said if you've got a 60 in one manual around they're pretty darn close to the same thing 39 in one's just an older version of that 60 in one that we have now but there is a manual just for the 39 in one and there's a link here and i'll eventually put it down in the uh, show information and in the um in the post on our website for this so that you can find it there but if you want to go ahead and copy it down there daniel that's the link but if you turn on that dip switch too it should switch the board into vga mode and then you should be able to display it on a computer monitor. Tim, of course, you want to go over a couple of things about switching dip switches. Yeah, anytime that you switch a dip switch, you need to make sure that the power is off completely and then switch the dip switch and then before you power it back on. So don't do it when the game is on. Right. The only exception to that rule may be if you've got a dip switch that controls the test mode. Mm -hmm. You may want to actually flip it while the game's on. Some games allow you to do that, some don't. But in most cases, you want to turn the game off, flip the dip switch, and turn it back on. Yes. So in this case, especially, Daniel, you want us to follow that advice. And we do have a video on changing dip switches or adjusting dip switches on a board, so you can check that out as well if you need additional help. And, of course, contact us again if uh, you need help locating those dip switches or anything like that, and we'll help you out. So, Daniel, hopefully answers your question, and good luck getting your 39-in-1 to work with that VGA computer monitor. Okay, Tim, we have uh, Wakesland Warriors here. He says, uh, Indiana Lee here. What's up, fellas? What's up? Mm. Thanks for being here. So we always like it when you guys are here. Uh, Tim, we got, and we, it's been kind of quiet in there a little bit. It okay. seems like, uh, you know, maybe everybody's just now getting their bearings. We kind of started on time tonight, which like yeah. never happens. But like I'll I said. I'm them all off. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're, um, we're, uh, we're on a time crunch a little bit. So that's why we started actually at 530. Usually we start about five minutes after just to give us a little time to get settled. But uh, we actually start on time tonight. Who would have mm -hmm. thought? So there you go. But uh, anyway, guys, we hope that everything's going well with you. And of course, feel free to answer, to ask or answer questions in the live chat. So let us know what you're thinking or just, uh, you know, if you have any questions, of course, we'll try to address those as the show goes on. 
Okay, Tim, this is from Galen. I hope I'm saying that right. Galen or Jalen? I think it's Galen. I think it's Galen. I'm going to go with Galen. Just bought Raiden, so I guess just bought a Raiden arcade game, uh-huh. and I'm having trouble getting it to turn on. I looked for the power switch and cannot find one. There is nothing at the top of the game where some of the older games have it. The person I bought it from turned it on. We drove 20 miles and are having troubles. Any hints? Is it possible the extension cord is the wrong kind? I'm going to buy a voltage tester today to see if there's voltage going through. Thank you. So Galen mm-hmm. here is very frustrated, Tim. And we right. get this story a lot, right? I bought an arcade game from a guy. I put it in the back of my truck. We mm-hmm. drove it home 20 or 30 miles. I got it to my house. Nothing. Right. Right? Happens a lot. So, Tim, what are you going to suggest Galen does here at this point to get his rate hopefully powered on? Well, one of the quickest things would be, surely you have some kind of email correspondence. Yes. You might ask that guy, simply, where's the on button? <laughs> there you go. Uh, because they can, be in, they, have, they can be in tricky places. Most games... Like the ones behind us, a lot of times they're on the top. Sometimes they're on the very bottom where the cord comes in. Yeah. So I have seen one, uh, like a dynamo cabinet or something on the side. Yep. Uh, seen, uh, then I've seen people, that's how they came dedicated. I've seen undedicated cabinets where they're under the control panel, they're in the coin door, they're, you know, all kinds of places. So, and you didn't give us any pictures. Right. So that would might would have helped. But a lot of times has nothing to do with the on-off switch, um, but getting a voltmeter and following that power will help you. A lot of times it's some sort of kill switch. Right. Or an interlock switch. Right. That uh, the door is not all the way shut. Uh, I remember one lady uh, called me out, said her Pac-Man one, Miss Pac-Man one, come on. I walked over. The coin door had been open the whole time. Shut the coin door, come on. She was like, oh my gosh, how'd you fix it? You know? That was really quick. I'm like, I shut the door and it, yeah, yeah, it came on. And so um, that that'd be my suggestions. You know, that it's some type of interlock switch. It's probably the good news is, is that it's probably nothing serious, right? Or a wire just came undone. Sometimes, even though it's plugged in on the outside, on the inside, there's prongs that go off to your fuses and your power supply and stuff. One of them could have come unplugged. Real simple. So most of the time, it's something simple. So don't. Fred over at Galen, get you a meter. Uh, there, but there are a couple things that uh, we can talk about. And Jonathan, you'll show the slide. I will. We'll, um, we'll show everybody what we're talking about with the interlock switch. Yeah, I'll go ahead and read this. So power switches can be located in several different places. While most are at the top, very common location, Tim, we see on a lot of games, could be at the bottom. And Tim, I think of Tato cabinets like Kicks. Actually had it at the bottom, if right. you remember correctly. Or on the side, and Tim, I have a picture of a Dynamo-style cabinet here, Street Fighter, where the power switch is actually on the side of the cabinet. Wow. And we see that a lot on Dynamos, because remember that shelf system. Tim? Uh-huh. A lot of time with the shelf system, they put the power switch a little bit higher just to make it reach the components a little bit easier. So if you're having a, a tough time finding it, open up the back and trace the wiring from the power cord to the inside of the cabinet, you should come across a power switch <laughs> at some point. I mean, if you trace it all the way down, you'll find it. So, um, also, Tim mentioned that you need to check for interlock or kill switches and make sure they are engaged. Now, and we actually put a picture here, Tim, of an interlock switch. Mm -hmm. So, these are usually put, like, on the back doors of games so that when the back door is closed, it depresses the interlock and engages it, allowing electricity to flow through. So What, What they really were more of a safety switch so that if some kid broke into the back or the coin door, the game would shut off and they wouldn't go in there and get shot. Exactly. So interlock free plays. Like mm-hmm. we said, interlock switches keep the game from powering on when the back door or uh, or coin door or wherever they're put is not on the game among among 
other criteria, most can be pulled out to engage, which means that not only can you depress them, Tim, and hold them in, but you can a lot of times pull them out, and that yeah. will engage them as well. It's one of those things that when I first started collecting uh, uh, way over 20 years ago, you know, uh, I'd always see them taped. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have tape around them and stuff. And then one day I was at work and my boss just pulled it out and it worked. And I was like, what is it? You know, it's like I was this year's old. That should have been, a, that would have been a meme in like 99. You know, <laughs> I was this many years old when I learned this today. Right. Because um, if you didn't know that, guys, if you pull those out, a lot of times they'll work. Uh, but they also are made so that for safety and stuff when you're in there working and stuff that you're not getting electrocuted. Uh, so anyway, if you didn't know that, that's what he's talking about. The same thing that pushes it in. So if you have your back door off, a lot of times you can't push them, pull them out, and they will work also. Now, some of them are made where they won't pull. Correct. And, uh, you know, that's just the way those are. But a lot of times, um, if it's home arcade cabinet, for, I'll bypass that thing altogether sure. and just get rid of it. It just depends. I mean, you know, if it's in the game, a lot of times I won't take it out. But if it's right, causing if it's me working, problems, I was right. going to say, if, it causes, if it's causing me problems, I'll wire around it. I can think of uh, a prime example of one. You've all been to Chuck E. Cheese and go to the Ticket Muncher. And the door, a lot of times, we would have to adjust them because the door has a safety switch so that if some kid was to pry that door open, they couldn't get in there and the blades would be turning. Right, exactly. And stuff. Like gears so and stuff. That yeah. makes sense. But at the same time, we'd always have to adjust them uh, because all you'd have, if you barely bump that glass, it would reset or you yep. lose all your tickets or something. So, um, if you're not sure what we're talking about, go to Chuck E. Cheese. You'll see one right behind that clear glass, right on those ticket munchers. Yep. There you go. So, uh, Galen, hopefully that answers your questions. Let's look for that power switch. And Tim, you also mentioned they picked up a voltmeter. Great yeah. idea. Something always handy to have. So with a voltmeter, of course, you'll be able to measure where the voltage is coming in and where it stops. And if it gets to a point where it stops, then there may be an interlock or something you need right. to engage. If you follow the wires going in from the outside, they've got to go up to a switch somewhere. Right. Exactly. Or right over to the side or down. Wherever those wires are going from there, you probably will find your on-off switch. If it has one at all. A right. lot, I have seen cabinets that just didn't have one. Right. Or your... Um, your cord could get damaged, or sometimes there's a fuse down there that could blow next next to your cord. But, you know, write us back. Show us some pictures that probably would have really helped us pinpoint down. Because if you had a dynamo cabinet, yeah, it's probably on the side, which is not Just as depends. Common. Some dynamos aren't. So right. it really depends. Uh, they're all in different places. But, um, you know, and some are on the back. Think about Williams games. Yeah. You know, they're in the upper part of the back of the cabinet. So, I mean, it's just it's really different depending on the cabinet. But, um, you know, hopefully... You know, Galen, right? We're going to say uh-huh. Galen. Hopefully, Galen, you can find it. And, uh, you know, if you need additional help, though, please let us know. I'll be happy to help you uh, look for it. Send us some pictures, and we can uh, hopefully pinpoint it for you. Okay, Tim, we got a couple of other things, he, uh, guys, in here. We have Anthony. He says, love the attire, gentlemen. So right you're, you're rocking a nice Missile Command shirt yep. there. I got my Nintendo 64 on today. Mm-hmm. So um, good stuff. I got a couple of, of uh, new shirts, Tim. Oh, so okay. I'll be rocking over the next couple of live shows. And did, I, I got you a new shirt, but it was not um, arcade related, right? Right. For your birthday, you got... Um, uh, I, got I, a, I paid for your ticket to the XFL game. Yes. And then... I um, got a Dallas Renegade shirt. And you got a uh-huh. Dallas Renegade shirt. And hopefully that'll it'll probably worth something when the XFL folds the second time. What yeah. does that mean? So, it's a piece of history, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, but anyway, uh, so you did get... That was your birthday gift from me. I bought yes. your ticket and, um, and got you a shirt. So there you go. Happy birthday. Thank you. But anyway, we did have a good time. It was, good. It was very fun. So anyway, we'll talk about it at some point, but uh, let's continue on here. Let's see. We've got, um, let's see, Drock. Let's see. I can't read. Drock Habs says, hey, guys, 
Hello. There you go. And we got Wasteland Warrior. Anybody going to LAX this weekend? I believe that would be Louisville Arcade Expo. Okay. So, and I do think it is this weekend. Of course, we're a little far from that, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if our friends Whitney and Brent from the Broken Token podcast are going there, uh, as they're they basically live, you know, pretty close to that. So, yes. more than likely, they'll be there. I'd love to make it there sometime, but you know, Tim, it's always really close to to um to pinball texas festival, pinball yeah. festival so it's really hard to make two shows in one month for sure and especially when one's really far away and one's kind of close within driving distance agree so. but if you are heading there this weekend uh, let us know we'd love to know and, and and let us know what you're excited to play so uh, or if you're heading to texas pinball festival tim i think we talked about it before the show we're going to try to make it but i don't know if we're going to to be able to but um you know it's always a fun time when we go we love going and so if you are if you've never been Right. You should definitely go. go. If you've never been to an arcade expo at all or an arcade festival, then you should go. Uh, whether it's Louisville or whether it's um, Dallas or whatever the case may be. Um, there's ones all over the country. Of course, California Extreme, Tim, is a big one. Uh, Free Play Florida in Florida, if that one's still a thing. There, there are, no matter where you live, there is a gaming expo somewhere close to you that involves arcade games. Make a trip and... It'll be worth it, I promise. So you get to play a lot of games you don't normally get to play, which That's is probably true. the best part of it. So uh, let's see. Oh, Derek. So Derek, that not uh, draw caps or Derek. He says, I think it's easier for me to do Derek. Sorry. Okay. So I'm so you know like the font size. I really need to increase that. I have yeah. to like squint. Maybe it's just me getting old. I don't know. It's funny. I got my glasses right here. If you I, I, there you go. I mean, <laughs> but you know, we're contacts, but sometimes it just doesn't work. It just depends. So. Anyway, so I think we're caught up on the live chat. Tim, let us continue on here with Josh. Hi guys, this is Josh, a new listener, but I'm already learning a lot from your shared experience. Thanks very much for your insights. You're welcome. There you go. <laughs> I recently acquired my dream cabinet, one of the three Coam Neo Geo Big Reds. Everything is working, but I'm erring on the side of caution and replacing the 30-year-old 150-watt Amatic power supply with a 200-watt Suzo HAP with identical voltages and connectors, anticipating no problems there. However, a visual inspection of the isolation transformer does not reveal any obvious damage, so I'm hesitant to replace such a simple component if not necessary. And I think he goes on here, Tim. My question is this, because am I causing too much risk to the CRT by keeping it in there? Would a transformer failure have the potential to cause a catastrophe or just be a simple after-the-fact fix? If you think I should just replace it preemptively, could you recommend a suitable modern equivalent with the right specs? I've attached a photo of the current old one. Thank you, Josh. So this is a photo of his isolation transformer. Gotcha. Now, we already know that he's replacing the power supply. Right. But he is also replacing the ice. Or at least thinking about replacing the CRT and the isolation transformer. So what what advice would you give Josh here? Is he causing too much risk to the C, to the CRT by keeping it in there? And would a transformer failure have the potential to cause catastrophe or just be a simple after the fact fix? Okay, is that is that enough for you? I think so. Okay, <laughs> it's a great question because I understand what he's saying, but at the same time. A isolation transformer is not a common failure. Right. And uh, if it was, we'd say, like, the power supply is. Right. And so I, I'm all for replacing it. Uh, even going up to a higher wattage is fine. Um, you know, I'm, those are some things I could understand what he's doing. But really, realistically, um, we, we also take the approach sometimes if it's not broke, quit fixing it. Right. So I would think that that would fall into that category unless it's not working right. Uh, which is very rare. We have seen some that were bad, but usually it's something like a lightning strike hit them. So they just don't fail a lot under 
a load very often. And uh, maybe we've seen some that have, uh, but that's just so rare that I wouldn't worry about it. Right. But And when they do fail, I'm going to mention this, right. when they do fail, it, it doesn't usually, really hurt anything else. It, it stops, just stops sending voltage. The buck stops there, right? right exactly. So I mean, it's not like it's a it's not like it's a big deal. The ones we've seen that swell up, like you said, is usually because it got struck by lightning or just had like a massive power surge or of some just, sort. I don't know if it's the heat of a warehouse. What does it? I'm not sure. I, maybe I'm not getting. Maybe I'm not too technical. Maybe there is somebody that just plays. Just leave them on all the time. Maybe eventually they do swell up like that. But most of the time, they they just they're pretty hossy. You know, they just don't uh, fail very often. But like he said. And it won't really hurt much when they do. They just quit sending out voltage and you, your monitor won't work. You won't have any power, but you may have some other areas of your game working. So is he causing too much risk by keep, to the CRT by keeping the old isolation transfer I don't in there? Th- no. that, in my opinion, no. Uh, would it hurt to replace it? No. Um, if, you're, you know, if you just want to have a new one in there, uh, that's fine too. You right. know? So it's kind of like, eh, it's a... You know, it's if you got the money and you want to spend it, I can kind of understand why he wants to do that. I always think of repairing arcade games kind of like restoring an old car. Right. Uh, if the battery test fine, though, why get a new battery just so it won't fail eventually? Even a new battery is going to fail. You know, right. if the new battery would pro- probably have just about as, or a new isolation transformer would probably fail just as often as an old one would under under certain circumstances. So our our advice would be just to wait till it fails. Yeah, and I think that's probably for the best. Because like I said, when they do fail, it's usually it's usually not that like they blow up or anything. Right. It's just that they stop sending the voltage. And so at that point, your monitor will go out and you'll be like, hey, what's going on? You'll test all your voltages and you'll be like, oh, wait a second. There's no voltage getting to the monitor. You'll figure it out real quick. Now, having said that, Josh, if your whole house burns down, your neighborhood's on fire, <laughs> and they trace it back to this, we are not liable. Um, Thanks for throwing the there's, there's, there. Yeah, there's always that one, you know. That's right. So. Uh, it's but just rare. It is super, super rare. Super rare. And if anybody else wants to chime in in the chat room, if they've had one fail, it's very rare. Right. And we have only because we've worked on thousands of machines. And the ones that fail, though, are, it's voltage. It's, I mean, it's and, and they do swell. Like, we've seen some swell up. But it, when they swell up like that, they just stop sending the voltage. Right. They don't, like, like I said, they don't explode. We haven't seen one explode. So, ever. Have right. You? No. No, I was about to say, I've not seen a fire or anything from them. But right. Having said that, we might have Josh will have the world's first. You know, but... <laughs> the one that does it. Right. <laughs> so there you go. I'm going to go ahead and throw up uh, what we have here. And now, Tim, it should be mentioned, mentioned too, that this um, this isolation transformer looks newer anyway. Yeah, it does. I mean, from what I'm original. looking at, obviously, it doesn't look like one that came out of like a uh, 1980s Pac Man, for instance, or anything like that. It does look like something that's newer style. I mean, it, 90s, right? But. Um, Anyway, so our preference is to keep the cabinet as original as possible for as long as possible, which means leaving the original CRT in there. You know, and I wanted to mention that up front, Tim, because a lot of people may be tempted to just pull the isolation transformer and the monitor out, right? Right. Uh, but we would recommend keeping it as original as possible for as long as possible, which means leaving that CRT in there. And we only replace isolation transformers when they fail, and they don't fail very often. When they do fail, it's usually because they stopped supplying the correct voltage. Now, Tim, uh, Bob Roberts has a great article on transformers that you can read on his website. And there's a link right here, which we also put in the show notes and on the post for this show. So you can go to that website and learn more about transformers. Highly recommend you you check that out. And then if you do really want to get a replacement isolation transformer, then you can go to Twisted Quarter and some of the other parts distributors that we recommend and they 
we'll have them in stock. Um, now, here's the thing about isolation transformers. They're kind of cheap, but not cheap to ship. Okay, because they heavy. weigh a lot. Right. So the shipping may cost you as much as the Transformer mm-hmm. just because they are so heavy. So keep that in mind. Now, we'll say that the newer ones are a little bit lighter than what you got with some of the older ones. But, um, you know, I think Twisted Quarter sells this for around 20 or $30, Tim. And, of course, you'll have a shipping charge on top of that. Maybe just as much because, like I said, those things are kind of heavy. So keep that in mind when you do order one. But... Josh, not really recommending that you replace the isolation transformer as, like we said, fail rate on these things is pretty low. just doesn't happen very often. Right. So, anything else? No, I think We cover so. that pretty good? I think so. Okay, so Josh hopefully answers your question. And uh, good luck uh, doing the rest of the restoration on that Neo Geo cabinet. You know, Neo Geo, Tim, a favorite of a lot of people. People like them because, of course, four slots, three slots, you can get multiple mm-hmm. slots, multiple games in one cabinet. And then, Tim, they have those multi-carts that play like 140 in one or something like that. So, I mean, you know, for for uh, bang for your buck, it's really hard to beat a Neo Geo system for sure. So, Okay, Tim, it looks like we have a question from Danny here in the live chat. He says, I was installing my new universal board for my monitor on my trophy hunter, and I didn't notice a transformer for the monitor, so I... I noticed it looked like it had been wired up to the wiring harness. Didn't think a power supply would run a CRT monitor and the wiring looks original. So here's the deal. Newer style cabinets and um, Trophy Hunter, Tim, probably considered a newer style cabinet. A lot of modern chassis did not require an isolation transformer. That's right. something we mostly see in like the um, 7000 series. Um, Geo 7s. G- Geo 7s, like older monitors, like uh, early Wells Garners, like it's like K7000s, 4600s, um, and then like 4900, and then the Geo 7s. Right. They have them, they're just built into the chassis. Exactly. You'll see, you'll look at a newer chassis, you'll see that little bitty thing that, be a transformer. that does what that big old thing in, in Pac Man did. You yep, know, so. exactly. So, yeah, it's just with the newer components, nowadays a lot of chassis do not not require that you are you have the isolation transformer down the bottom because they're isolating the power actually at the monitor chassis and so that's the difference but now can you hook up an isolation transformer right. to a monitor that has a built-in isolation sure. transformer yes you can and it'll work um it's just you know if a monitor requires an isolation transformer and you don't hook it up then you'll be in trouble you're All gonna right. blow some diodes probably and some other things so you got to be careful with that but uh, no no harm no foul having it in there no matter what chassis you have whether you have a chassis that requires it or doesn't require it but if you hook up one that requires it without an isolation transformer, you may have some trouble. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. cool. So yeah, so um, the universal chassis, Tim, I don't think requires it, but make sure that you that you look at the uh, spec on it to make sure. But I don't think it requires an isolation transformer. I think, I think so, it works yeah. without it. So um, And like I said, newer monitors, Tim, I think the D9200 doesn't require an isolation transformer. Probably not. Um, and some of the newer style Wells Garner digital CRTs do not require isolation transformers because they are built on the monitor. So... You know, it just depends on what model you have. Earlier models usually typically require it, and newer models do not. So, okay. Is that good? That's good. Cool. Okay, let us continue on then with Rick. And Rick says, good afternoon. It is afternoon. How did he know? I'm just saying. Right. <laughs> right? I have two problems. I got 99 problems. Yeah, there you go. Well, he only has two. <laughs> two. So I apparently, not bad. Exactly. He's got you beat. Yeah. But anyway, the first one being that my 2005 Golden TRK game gets fuzzy. I bang on the side and it clears it up. It doesn't seem that any wires are loose. I also have a maximum force Area 51 combo game and the monitor is looping. I tried adjusting the vertical in the back and it doesn't help. Also, I had a friend change the monitor and it's still looping. Thanks in advance, Rick. So, Tim, uh, Rick has two monitor issues here. The right. first one is with the um, Golden T, the 2005 Golden T that gets fuzzy. 
but he can bang on the side of it, and it's fine. Right, exactly. You know, the old bang on the side. Man, it fixes it every time. And then we also have the Maximum Force uh, Area 51 combo game that's looping, which, Tim, I mean, to me, this that kind of sounds more like a hold style, uh-huh. you know, like looping or something like that. Of course, it's really hard to tell um, without pictures and things. But let's take these one at a time. So let's start off with the Golden T 2005 here, Tim. So picture looks great, gets fuzzy, bang, here. Right. Can I do that? There we go. Bang, all of a sudden it comes back in. You see, I think our, I think the picture on uh, on the little video did that as well. <laughs> so, um, obviously, Tim, there may be a short somewhere is kind of what we're thinking, right? Yeah, most of the time, it could be a wiring issue, but most of the time, something like that sounds more like a cold solder joint. Right. And uh, if he'll just touch up the cold solder joints where uh, all of his video are coming in and stuff, that should probably help it. If not, then it's probably time to go ahead and do a cap kit because it's probably... Uh, one of the solder joints at one of the caps, and by doing a cap kit, not only will you help preserve it, keep it, and your picture will look better, it'll probably take care of that issue also. Yeah, and you see a lot of times when we tell guys to take the monitor chassis out and touch up the solder, might as well do a cap kit while you're in there. Right. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If you haven't installed the cap kit in a while, and you're going to take the chassis out anyway to touch up some cold, cracked, or broken solder joints, why not get the cap kit out and go ahead and install it too? I mean, because you might as well. Right. So, I mean, it is what it is. So, uh, yeah, I think in this case, it probably is a broken or a cracked solder joint on the chassis that's causing it. So when he hits it, that pin just moves straight, just really close to that trace, and it makes the connection for a second, and everything's okay, right? Yeah. And so by touching up the solder, that should solve the issue. Uh, now, Tim, what about the maximum force area 51 looping issue? This is this one's kind of interesting because it does it with two monitors. If right. just did it with one monitor, I would go with... Some some of the same stuff. Check the solder joints. Check the wiring. You know, adjust it. Right. But the fact it's doing with two monitors, that tells me it probably is a wiring issue. That there's something wrong. It's out of sync. Right. It needs uh, the sync is not hooked up correctly. Right. So it could be a wiring issue, like you said, the sync not being hooked up correctly. Tim, I'm going to go a step further though. It could also be the setting on the board is is not ah, correct. Could be. So let's say he's putting in standard resolution monitors, but the board is adjusted for a medium resolution monitor. Very very likely. Obviously, we would get kind of this looping issue as well. So let's go ahead and uh, show the slide here, Tim. Uh, so what we have here on the 2005. It's possible that it could be a wiring issue, but we feel like it's probably related to a cold, cracked, or broken solder joint on the monitor chassis. Try removing the chassis and touching up any or all solder joints that look suspect. And Tim, the reason I put cap kit question mark is that if it's been a while since you've done a cap kit, go ahead and order some caps and do the cap kit while you're in there. Because you're going to be touching up solder joints anyway. If you're going to do that, might as well install the cap kit while you have the chassis out. I don't want to have to pull the chassis twice. Right. You know, while you have it out, install the cap kit, get it done. Um, on the Maximum Force Area 51 combo, the fact that it's looping, okay, with two monitors, like you mentioned, Tim, probably more of a sync or frequency style issue. So make sure that you've got your sync connected properly to your monitor. That's issue number one. So make sure mm-hmm. that the sync wiring is going to the correct pins on your monitor chassis from the board. Very important, because if you're not doing that, then you're going to have some issues. Now, you also need to check the output settings of your board. Page 3-7 in the manual, and Tim, here's a link to the manual. You'll see this is the page out of the manual here, and you'll see this little red box section, uh-huh. which you can't read here on the screen, uh-huh. but it basically says how you set it for medium res, standard res, high res, and all that kind of stuff. Nice. You need to read that page and make sure that you've got 
all of your stuff set for the type of monitor you're putting in your game. If you're putting in a standard resolution monitor, make sure that you have all of your pins or yeah, I think those are uh, CPU jumpers, Tim. Those are jumpers. Yes. Make sure you have all your jumpers set for standard resolution. If you don't, you're going to have issues, I promise. So again, make sure your sync wiring is connected to the right pins on the monitor chassis from the board. Make sure that you've got the right sync coming from your board and that those CPU jumpers are set properly. And again, page 3-7 in the manual, and I'll put this link in the show information down below and in the show article on our on our blog. So nice. there you go. So if you go to those places, you'll be able to find it. But if you want to copy it down, it's also on the screen, so you can check that out as well. So, Tim, that's really what it comes down to. I think if he does those things, he should be in good shape. Um, the Gold T 2005, you'd be surprised what a cold solder joint can do. I don't know if I've talked about this in a while, but um, I got a monitor from our friend Stan, mm-hmm. and it was working fine when he gave it to me, but um, it stopped working. And I was like, well, what's going on? I took the chassis out. Turned out there it was like he had apparently done a cap kit or something, and there was one little solder joint he did not solder. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was just loose. Mm-hmm. And it was like a leg of a cap or something. Yeah. I just touched that up with solder, working properly. Wow. No problem. So, I mean, that's what it can do. Just having one cold, cracked, or broken solder joint can affect your entire screen. Sure. So, make sure that all of those are making good connections to your board. Uh, it's so important, Tim. And the input pins um, that is a common cracked or broken place where the solder gets uh, you know, all uh, kind of wonky up in there because when you unplug the connector and plug it back in about a million times, those solder joints tend to suffer over time. But, Tim, it could be anywhere. Just go through the entire chassis upside down and just touch up the solder wherever you think it needs to be touched up. So, and I mean, Michael is the one that tells us that all the time. And he's right, mm-hmm. I mean, because it, it just makes a world of difference to do that. So... Okay, so Rick, hopefully I answered your question. Uh, please let us know if you have any additional questions about your issues, and we'll try to help you out further. Okay, Tim, it looks like we've got a um, we've got a question from Encore M- MPW MPW. Okay, and he says, "New to the hobby, glad to meet you. My business neighbors, uh, the County Electronics Recycling Center, and I made a contact. Are there any CRT televisions that would be a good donor for an arcade monitor?" Thank you. So there are a lot of different tubes that are mm-hmm. that are good donor tubes, Tim. Um, junket, junknet.net used to have a list of them, and you can still find that list on archive.org. But Tim, there is like a Google document now that somebody has put together with all of the different compatible like tubes and which chassis that they're compatible with. And I wish I could remember that off the top of my head. But um, there is a Google Doc out there that somebody has been working on to match TV tubes to monitor chassis. And so if, you know, um, if I find that, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, so you can have a link to it. Uh, the junknet.net, I believe, has been taken down but can still be fi- found uh, in the archive.org, so um, the Internet Archive. So if you go there, you can still find a list, a basic list of um, of TV tubes that match monitor chassis. But um, that Google Doc that I, I saw recently was probably the best matcher as far as going with the TV tube and the chassis. So, nice. um, But, there are yeah, there are several. I can't name any off the top of my head. But, um, you know, there are a lot of RCA TV tubes, Tim, are compatible with monitor chassis because they used a lot of RCAs. Right. So like 19-inch RCA tubes, a lot of times you can find a chassis match for those. Um, I was trying to think if there's any other brands off the top of my head. Zenith. I think um, maybe Philips, Magravox. Philips and Zenith, a lot of times you can find some matches for, but... Um, RCA seems to be a good matcher, just you know, just from what we've seen. As mm-hmm. long as you've got the right size for your chassis. So if it's a 19 inch chassis, make sure you're getting a ni- you know 19 inch uh, you know uh, RCA to go along with that. But um, it really depends on what the um, impedance is of the tube. And if you measure that and it's within range of whatever the monitor, the original monitor tube was for the chassis, then you're in good shape. 
Yeah. And those have also been posted in several places where uh, you can find the tube impedance for, or the yoke impedance for pretty much any, uh, any chassis that you're looking for. So um, you can always measure that as well and find a match. But um, there are, like I said, junknet.net used to have one. And then there's a Google doc out there floating around somewhere. And if I can find it, I'll link to it for you so you can find it. So, um, but uh, other than that, we'll, we'll see if we can find that. And I'll link it up uh, in the uh, show information. So keep an eye out for that. Okay. Are we done? Okay, we're caught up again. Okay, so I think we only have a couple more questions here, Tim. Okay. Uh, So let's continue on here with Kelly. Kelly says, hi, I have a question about the 60-in-1 JAMA board. Can it display horizontally and vertically, or is the board different for each type of display? Now, Tim, uh, this is a very important question because I see too many games where they're trying to put a 60-in-1 board into like a joust or something like that. And guys, the 60-in-1 is a vertical, vertical, um, what would you call it, a vertically... Um, displayed board. Yes. So, and what we mean by that is that um, the it expects your monitor to be vertical. Its orientation mounted. is vertical. Right. Exactly. So, like we look at Galaga here. Galaga has a vertical monitor, which means that it goes up. The long part of the monitor mm-hmm. goes up and down. Uh, whereas with a Joust, the long part of the monitor goes, you know, horizontally or side to side. So it really depends uh, on how the monitor is mounted as to whether or not you can use the sixteen-one board in it. Now, you can remount. You can rotate a monitor. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of work in most cabinets uh tim i have a dynamo cabinet that was actually designed to rotate the monitor Uh but most cabinets were not designed like that they were not designed for monitor rotation and so uh with that in mind if you're going to use the 61 board you probably need to have it in a vertically mounted arcade cabinet that helps Uh, anything you want to say about that tim no you have a good picture that will show our point so this is a fake picture i made this one but i've seen pictures like this and and you know i always i always kind of scroll over them i was looking for one when you're looking for something you can never find it right but uh, i went ahead and made one like this but this is what happens if you take a vertical a vertical displayed game and displayed on a horizontal monitor you get this kind of sideways look okay and Uh that's the way i describe it sideways so the standard 16-in-1 board that we discuss in our content is designed for use in cabinets that have a vertically mounted monitor. Most classic arcade games from the early to mid-80s use vertically mounted monitors. Some examples include Miss Pac-Man, Galaga, Donkey Kong, Frogger, Tron. Tim, you want to add any to the list? Galaxia. Uh, let's see. Yeah, got, you got Galaga down there. Who? Uh, but I would think of games that aren't. Would be like yeah, Missile Command or yeah, something. Yeah, there's some down here. Defender. We'll talk about that. The 16-in-1 will not work properly in a in a cabinet with a horizontally mounted monitor unless the monitor is reoriented vertically. Some examples of horizontally mounted monitors include Joust, Defender, uh, Bubbles, right? Uh, let's see, Street Fighter Two, Mortal Kombat. Most of the games made in the 90s are horizontal, right? Yes. And so um, the 19-in-1 is really the board you want for the horizontal games. Now, Tim... That's kind of, that sixteen one and the nineteen one are kind of older multi game boards. You can get like the Game Elves and the Pandora's box and stuff like that now that have a lot more games on them. So like the new version, like a horizontal game, a lot of people think Pandora's box. Right. I think almost all the Pandora's box boards are horizontal. Okay, but Game Elf, you can get that either in the vertical, the four hundred twelve in one, or you can get that in the horizontal. I mean, they make those in two different versions, basically. So what you want to make sure is that whatever multi-game board you buy, that you buy one that's compatible with the way your monitor is displayed now. The only problem with that is it may not have the games you want to play. 
if you want to play mostly classic games, you need to have a vertically mounted monitor because you, sure. you know most classic games are that. You think about uh, what else? What other games am I missing here? Donkey Kong Junior, of course. Donkey Kong Three, um, Centipede, Millipede. Yeah. Um, what else am I? What else, Tim? Golly, I can't even think. You got of Frogger down already. Right, exactly. So I mean, there's several. Most of the classic games that you remember playing are vertical. Okay, mm-hmm. but um, if you want to, I mean, there are some classic games like Defender and Joust that were horizontal. Um, there are some, but they were they were few and far between. Wizard of War was horizontal, right? Right. Wizard of War would be a good example of one. So um, there are some games that are like that. It's just not as co- uh, common if you're talking about classic games. So most of the games that are made after Street Fighter Two, mm-hmm. most of those are going to be horizontal. So just make sure that you get a, the right multi-game board for whatever mount you have currently in your cabinet. If you do that, you'll be in good shape. So, like I said, if you've got a classic cabinet like Galaga here, use a vertically displayed game like the 60-in-1 or the Vertical Game Elf. If you've got a horizontal game like Police Trainer or something like that, then you can use the Pandora's box boards and uh, some of the, the newer style multi-game boards should work fine in it. So, Kelly, hopefully answers your question and good luck with whatever project you're going to be working with a 60-in-1 board in. Okay, let's see what we got here. Um, okay, uh, Danny says, I've got a project. I'm gutting my Lethal Enforcers, added a flat screen and two new aim track guns and a Raspberry Pi. I was wondering, uh, am I still needing the power supply for my marquee light? Can I wire the Raspberry Pi to the power supply? Um, so, yes, you should be able to... Um, you don't really need the power supply for your marquee light because most marquee lights run off of 120 volts, like the right. standard ones. If you're using a DC voltage um, marquee light, like maybe an LED strip like what I have in here, then you may need that DC voltage in there still. Now, can a RK power supply run a Raspberry Pi? Yes, it can, technically, because um, I forget what the Raspberry Pi runs off of. It's either 5 or 12, Tim, I'm pretty sure. So you could jumper that 5 or 12 directly off of the arcade power supply if you wanted to and then, and then use it that way. I'm pretty sure you could mm-hmm. probably not the way i would do it though i probably wouldn't jump off the arcade power supply i would probably use the original power supply for the raspberry pi and do it that way mm-hmm. just because i mean there's no reason to splice into the original and if your marquee light is using ac voltage anyway then you're probably fine just taking the old power supply out and doing it that way and using a, a traditional raspberry pi power supply and doing it that way tim if you ever needed to replace the raspberry pi it'd be a little bit or the power supply would be a little bit simp- simpler than, than doing it with the arcade power supply. So, I mean, I like I said, I probably wouldn't leave the arcade power supply in there. It's your choice. You could do it either way, but, I mean, it's up to you. Probably would just put some AC outlets in the bottom of the cabinet, Tim, wire to the power uh, to the um, to the power cord, mm-hmm. and then just plug in the power supplies and the marquee light and all that kind of stuff. So. so that'd be me. Just depends. Up to you. So, um, but yeah, you don't, you shouldn't need the mar- the power supply from the marquee light unless you want to run off DC voltage. And even if you want to do that, a lot of times... Um, like the under cabinet lighting that you get, Tim, comes with a power adapter that you can use. So no real reason to leave the arcade power supply in there unless you just want to. Um, maybe for coin lights. Maybe. Maybe. So I don't know. Um, let's see. Encore MPW says exceptional. Thanks again and keep up the good work. Josh, there you go. All right. So you, you liked our answer. I like All that. Right. So, okay. So Tim, it looks like we have three more questions here from YouTube. So let's go ahead and get to those. So, Tim, um, we'll take these one at a time, but I'll go ahead and read them all three here. Gizmo says, how can I add a coin button? I've been all over YouTube looking for a video that shows how to wire it. And Ken says, does the Holland Computer's JAMA harness work for the six-button games like Street Fighter on the Pandora's box? Please, can you let me know, please? Okay. Double please. Mm -hmm. Very important. And Whoopie-Doo. 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 Whoopie-Doo says, Mm -hmm. do most arcade games use ceramic fuses? 
So let's go with Gizmo first, Tim. How can I add a coin button? I've been all over YouTube looking for a video on that shows how to wire it. So Tim, um, obviously he's looked all over YouTube, but I'm pretty sure we have a video on there, right? right? <laughs> yeah, I believe we do. Um, Wiring up a yeah, I think it's called um, wiring up a coin switch or setting up free play on an yes, arcade game. Yes, setting up so, free play on an arcade game. Yeah, exactly. So if you wire up a coin switch or setting up free play on an arcade game, if you check out that video, you can. But, Tim, it's really no different than wiring a standard button, right? Right. So basically what you do is you connect the coin 1 or coin 2 wire from your harness to the normally open yes. pin on your micro switch and then put a ground wire yeah, to, to the, the ground. Mm -hmm. And when you press that micro switch, it will coin, coin up it. the game. Okay, it's that easy. Now, if you have a coin switch already in your game, you can jumper the wires from the coin switch to a button, and that right. will work too. So those are kind of your two options as far as putting free Well, a lot of times somebody will use uh, a little micro mini switch right. and just wire it one wire. The ground is already down there, and you can just... And just where you hit it every time, it'll give you a credit. Beep, 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 and real do that quick. too. There's so two, there's a lot of different yeah. two prongs there. It's easy. Pick one. Exactly. It's, <laughs> a, it's I mean, so it's not real complicated. It's just a matter of wiring up a micro switch in place of where your coin switch would normally be in your arcade game. So not, I mean, not really difficult, Tim. But you will need to know the pinouts for the game you're working with. Of course, if it's JAMA, Tim, that's easy. Right. But if it's not JAMA, you'll have to look up the pinouts and make sure you know where that coin one is on your uh, on your harness. So that's very important. Okay, so uh, Tim, the next question here, and I'll go ahead and display it here. Does the Holland Computer's JAMA harness work for six-button games like Street Fighter on the Pandora's box? Please, can you let me know? Please. And I like how we got the double please in there, Tim. We like we plea, we are pleased <laughs> that he used please twice. Right. <laughs> so there you go. So, um, Tim, tell us more about the best JAMA harness that money can buy in the that's, Holland Computer's JAMA harness. That's right. It comes from Holland Computers, and it directly states that buttons five and six on their harness Come with the wires and they're already installed. Yeah, they already has the terminals on them. Yeah, already have the terminals on them. So they're ready so to go. They're ready to go. So exactly. if you bought it, you you'll be set. Exactly. So, so it's the answer already is ready. yes. Yeah, exactly. The answer is yes. You if you buy the Holland Computers one, it already comes with wires and terminals on the buttons four, five, and six on the harness. So you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. Easy enough. So um and Tim, I'll show a slide here that actually shows that on their website too. Okay. And Tim, a lot of people don't realize that's not really JAMA. That's more what we call JAMA Plus. Plus. Right, exactly. Because right. it's got the extra buttons. We're using some of those empty slots for extra buttons. And a lot of times we only have a single ground at the end of the of the of the harness instead of the two grounds that the standard right. JAMA has. And so we're basically substituting that first ground for button six. Agreed. And so that's when you do that, make sure that you realize that you'll have to make sure you do that when you wire it up. You wire instead of wiring the the but pin twenty six, right? Pin mm -hmm. twenty six to um, ground, make sure you wire it to button six on the one and two player sides. So and then, Tim, the last question that we have is from Whoopie Doo, which I kind of like that. <laughs> and he right. says, do most arcade games use ceramic fuses? The answer is, is quite simply no. no. Not most games don't. They use right. the glass fuses, although we have seen some in them. I don't know if they were exactly original or not, but it's not that common. I have seen some, but, that isn't, but most games do not. Right. That's Most, what the question is. Right, exactly. Most games actually use glass fuses. Right. Now, I've heard that you can use ceramic fuses in place of a glass fuse, and it's okay. Sure. But I also know ceramic fuses typically are more expensive, right? Right, and they're hard to read. Uh, for instance, ICE makes a game, you know, a version of Skee-Ball, and they use Ice some ball, in there, right? and they can be really expensive, and they're hard to read with a meter. To You have to... The continuity beep won't always work, so you have to actually check the voltage, I mean, check the ohms and stuff like that. 
So it's not quite as simple to read as a glass fuse either, in right. my opinion. So, but there are games that have them, correct? There are some that have them. But it's the exception. It's the exception, not the rule. There you go. So I'm going to go ahead and put up all the stuff we just talked about. So Gizmo, yes, you can watch. So his was about the coin switch, Tim. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can wire a micro switch to one of the coin wires coming from your harness like you would a normal button. You can jumper the wires from the coin switch as well, Tim, like we talked about. Um, and we do have a video on this. Like I said, uh, wiring up a coin switch or setting up free play, you need to watch that and you'll see more about that. Ken, yes, the Holland Computer's JAMA harness specifically states that their harness comes with button location 5 and 6 wires and terminals installed. And like I said, when you go to buy that harness, Tim, it actually says JAMA plus harness. Okay. Okay, the one that we link to is JAMA plus harness. And that's because it does have the additional wires and terminals for those usually vacant locations on a JAMA harness. So, yes. so Or the Holland Computer's one, you'll be happy with it. Promise. Whoopie-doo! Actually, most games that we've come across use glass fuses. There are a few games that use ceramics. Tim mentioned the ICE Redemption games. Yes. They use ceramics, but most are glass. So there you go. And Tim, I've got some nice glass fuses there for you to, <laughs> for you to look at. So it is what it is. So there you go. So hopefully Gizmo Kin and Whoopie-doo, that answers your questions. And good luck with all of your future arcade repair endeavors. There we go. So, Tim, now this next one is really interesting, this next um, little part. But before we get to that, we've got a couple of questions here. Michael says, hello from Michael. So I have recapped a monitor that flickers or pulses but looks fine. What should I check? So he recapped it, and it's still giving him a little bit of flicker, a little bit of pulse in it. Um, one thing we mentioned before is make sure that you touch up the solder, not only on the right. caps, but also especially on those input pins coming from the power from the isolation transformer mm -hmm. or from the power supply depending um and on the flyback when you get that as well mm -hmm. now could it be a signal that your flyback starting to go maybe maybe not usually if a flyback's gonna go it'll go mm -hmm. but sometimes the pulsing can indicate that depending it can also mean that you have bad power i mean there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things or not, that you're not properly grounded we've seen that before is there anything else i'm missing no i think you talked uh Touching up those solder joints where the power comes in would be the first place I'd start. Right. So, I mean, it, and, and actually, Paul, I just saw that Paul uh, Paul Jaray, uh, who would know, who's, who's a modern repair guy, actually said possible flyback or dirty pot may be cold solder joint. And that's exactly what I would say. Possible flyback. Seen it before mm -hmm. where the flyback goes out from that. But um, a lot of times if the flyback goes out, it's just out. But a cold or cracked solder joint on the flyback? Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, colder, colder cracked solder joint on the power wires coming into the chassis? Very likely too. And he said bad pot, which is something I didn't even think of, but very possibly a bad pot as well. So um, definitely need to look for colder cracked solder joints. Probably first thing we would do, take the chassis out. Look at the power section of the monitor for cold and cracked solder joints. Mm -hmm. That's the key. Uh, and like I said, flyback, um, hot, all that kind of stuff. Look around those areas. The Australian. I have a Neotech NT S500. S500? Yes. Uh, with vertical collapse, I believe I need to replace the transistors to fix it. Any idea where to get some? Uh, Tim, we've mentioned this before, but NTE has a cross-reference for pretty much any transistor that you need. Right. So you can put the part number of the transistor that's currently on your monitor chassis, chassis uh, into the NTE lookup tool, and it'll tell you what the equivalent NTE part is. 
and you can and it'll actually give you a link to a distributor to order it as well. So uh, NTE is who we use for a lot of our replacement parts. NTE Inc. and Tim, they're a uh, they sell parts at Fry's, of Fry's. course, but they also sell parts at several other. Um, a lot of electronic stores stock NTE parts. It's a, uh, they're very popular. Man, I can't tell you how many Michael had around his right? shirt. Right. <laughs> Golly. So NTE is really um, is really our supplier of choice. And like I said, you Mouser can look up. Mauser carries it. Mauser carries them, exactly. I think DigiKey as well. A lot, mm -hmm. There's a lot of places that carry NTE electronics. So, um, But you can get the parts from there. And like I said, you can pretty much put in any part number in their cross-reference, and it'll give you the equivalent NTE part number to, to order. So... Check out the transistor on your chassis. See what the, if you can get the number off of it, see what it is now. Put it into the cross-reference on NTE Electronics website, and then and then uh, you should get the equivalent part out of that. And there you go. So uh, that's what we'd recommend. So hopefully that, that answers your question. Let us know if you need help recognizing that. We may be able to help you out further. Um, can't, it's been a while since I worked on an EOTech, and Paul may actually um, know what that is off the top of his head, but I definitely yeah. don't. So. Oh, Joe's here. You guys rock. Miss you guys. Miss you too, Joe. Hey, Joe. Still need to call you. I'm calling you. So, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But uh, anyway, good to have you here as always. Shane says, I have an original Commando PCB. I'm going to put in a JAMA cabinet, making an adapter, but pinout has two 12 volts. One says plus 12. The other says plus 12 common. What's the difference? Maybe overthinking. I don't think there is one, if I no. remember correctly. I think that they're the same. You know, Tim, I mean, some uh, sometimes it just depends. Maybe they, they may have 12 volts going to different parts of the board, so they just wanted 12 volts going to both parts. You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't know specifically on that board if it makes a difference, but if it were me wiring it up, I would you know, I would probably wire up the 12 volts for, for both. But you may check another pinout too just to be on the safe side. So, um, you know, if you're looking in the manual, for instance, you may check the pinout. Just do a search for the pinouts online. See if it confirms what we're saying just to be on the safe side. Um, I definitely get a second opinion mm -hmm. before doing that just to be on the safe side. I mean, and Tim, I mean, it probably is 12 volts on both, but you always want to make sure right, right. before you hook up any voltage to it. So see if you can find an alternate pinout for that game board and then follow that accordingly. Or it may be worth asking somebody who has one just to make sure that that's the way they have it wired as well. Let's see, V Raven 1997. Hey guys, thank you for your videos. Because of you guys, I was able to fix and get my Mortal Kombat 1 arcade game going after it had been sitting for like 18 years. Wow. Wow. Congratulations, you. You did it. <laughs> right. All we did was give you the tools, but you right. did it. You did it. Uh, we don't fix, I mean, technically here, I can't fix your game, right? right. I can't like reach into the, to the YouTube and fix your game. We can show you how to do it, but you guys have to take the initiative. So good on you for taking the initiative and fixing your game. That's awesome. Enjoy that Mortal Kombat, Tim. One of my favorite games. Love yep. that thing. So, okay. Are we ready? I think Discussion so. por portion. Guys, um, this came up, and Tim, I actually didn't hear it from you. I heard it from one of your managers. Uh -huh. Okay, but this came up, and I asked him about it, and he's like, oh, yeah, that happened. So this is not a tech tip. Okay, right. this is where we normally transition. <laughs> More to, of a discussion, right? Exactly. This is where we normally transition to Tim's tech tip. But we're going to kind of transition into a discussion here, and it has to do basically if you're if you've ever wanted to open an arcade for families, right? This applies to you. And so, Tim, why don't you tell us about what happened and just give us the lowdown before I throw all the details and things up here. Okay, well, um, I was off the clock. I had already left for the day, and uh, my manager called. Told me about an incident that happened where a little boy had approached her and told her that a guy had um, pretty, pretty much said something kind of inappropriate to him. And uh, I guess we can read the slide. Maybe that'll we'll go through the story. But uh, how we handled that situation, 
um, and, and to also be on the loose or, or the lookout for uh, a lot of predators out there on the loose and stuff. So uh, this is kind of our story, what happened. So. Okay, so I'll go ahead and put it up here, Tim. It is Tim's Arcade Tip. Yeah. Have a plan in place to keep your customers, kids and adults, safe from predators and other threats. And Tim, this is something, you know, back in the 80s, I don't know if we thought about as much, right? Probably this is not. not something that we thought about. So this is a story that happened at Tim's place. I'm going to read it here just so you guys know. A father of an 11-year-old boy asked for a manager, one of your managers. Yes. Manager walks up and the boy tells the manager that he went to the bathroom. Right. He was peeing beside a man who told him that he had been riding go-karts out back. Now, Tim, for the record, are there any go-karts out back? <laughs> no, there's an alley out back with some trash cans and typical alley right so the man asked the boy if he wanted to go to the back to ride to ride with him right the boy got creeped out hurried out of the bathroom and told his dad the manager asked the boy to identify the man and promised that he would not have to talk to him the boy points him out manager goes to the man's table and asks him about the situation now there was more of a conversation than this but the man basically left with who are you going to believe me or the kid and your manager said the, the kid the kid i need you to leave now follow me to register for a refund Never come back again. Yes. Cops were called shortly after. Right. Okay. So, Tim, you have to have policies nowadays in order to and tell your staff what, what to, to do. do when this kind of thing occurs. And it's just sad to me that you have to have that. But if you're ever going to open an arcade, you need to have this. Because right. there are a lot of creeps out there that are trying to get kids like this yeah. guy was. Number one, it was smart on the kid's behalf. Absolutely. He had told. And, and, and even knowing more to the story now... Um, you, you know, we're from Texas. The dad was packing, uh, a gun on a gun holster. Okay. So he gun. was concealed carry. A concealed carry. Well, unconcealed carry. Oh, unconcealed carry. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so it could have ended a lot worse. I think the manager did the right thing by asking the guy to leave. You think the guy when confronted would have said he misunderstood. I didn't say that. Didn't, didn't deny it. He just said, who are you going to believe me or the kid? Well, what he didn't know was we also had a manager that happened to be doing a particular uh, thing at that time. Business. Sitting, <laughs> on, sitting on the throne right. and overheard the whole conversation. So um, he was lying. It was, uh, and the cops were involved. And I'm going to say a lot more about it because it is an ongoing uh, case, right. except for, you know, these are the things that... Um, it's a different world that we live in, and probably a lot of this stuff was going on back in the 80s and 90s, and we should have been more aware. Yeah. We should have been more proactive, but today's times call that we have to be proactive, and if it means uh, one guy get mad, you know, a um, couple people call, you don't know that guy, and your manager acted wrong, embarrassed in front of everybody, I said, we'll let the cops decide that, but I'd rather be embarrassed, lose a few customers, than uh, for something worse to take place, especially on our watch. So I I applauded her. I thought she did a great job. Uh, basically, they told him, you got to leave. You got to go. You can't be in here. Turns out, you know, he is on probation. He wasn't supposed to be there anyway. So he'll get more trouble probably for violating the probation since he didn't really break a law. But um, he was captured and uh, is going to face uh, trial for this. So... Um, you know, just we kind of threw this in as a tech tip just to everybody, you know, every, you think about all those things when you're starting a business, but you don't always think about the little stuff and these things. So as a manager, you have to be ready and responsible and uh, can take action or have a plan in place 
So if you work at Arcade, be on the lookout, be on the, you know, for one thing, we want families to come in. We want them to be safe. We want them to let their kids go and play while they relax and not have to worry about if their kid is safe or not. So, uh, and on the opposite, we've had several people that have come and said, we want to come because we know that you guys are looking out for our kids. We booked a party the next night, said, we're going to book our party with you because uh, we think what you did was right. And by taking care of the situation, you showed that our kids will be safe here. So uh, two different stories, ways to look at things. Uh, but by all means, you know, uh, even with your own kids, uh, just be careful where they go. Uh, the fact that he went to the restroom by himself uh, and he was, uh, I think he was 11 years old. So, you know, I didn't think much about it when my kid was 11 years old, but even at that age, it doesn't take but a second. Uh, so, you know, by all means, you're not being overprotective or a helicopter parent or nothing. If you, your kid got to go, it's a good time for you to go. Uh, so be very careful be on the watch out, and uh, I guess that's about all we'll say about it. And I think have a plan in place is yeah. very important. Like know what you're know what you're going to do if this happens. Right. You know, we're going to escort you the man out. We're going to call the police. We're going to do these things so that way everybody knows in the restaurant to be on the lookout and everybody's vigilant. When it does happen, they know what to do. Right. It's not like oh, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We never had this happen before. Right. Kind of so because you don't want to be in a panic when that kind of stuff happens. But Tim, it's not just for kids and like predators like this, but even adults right. as well. Like you know, you I, you've talked about some situations where you've had adults that were you know maybe you know approached in- or something. So you know, um, especially it seems like more females than males, but even younger male or teenage males now. So be very careful, and uh, you know, it's always good to do the buddy system, have a plan in place. Know where your kids are at all times. It's okay. Um, just a safety tip that, you know, this is just a different world we live in. We're not, we don't go and ride our bikes all day long and wait for the street light to come on and come in anymore. Right. Uh, it's just a different world, you know. So, um, but, you know, but I think there's always been some issues there. We just have to be protective today. We have the tools and the technology where we can prevent some of this, I hope. And I think this getting out, too, sends a message to every other predator out there. Yeah, hopefully don't of, come. Exactly. If they're going to come to your place, guess what? We're going to yeah. get you. Right. You know, and so that's that's We're definitely looking. Too. Right, exactly. So something that we have to, have to face. If you've got a family-friendly establishment of any kind, though, it's something that you need to have. Have a plan so that when things like this occur, you're not caught off guard. So that's, that's the tip, right? That's it. So there you go. So we'll continue on here in a second, Tim, but we have a couple of uh, chat issues here anybody have any tips on how to add a free play button uh to a 78 valley space invaders and brandon we kind of talked about that earlier right right uh so um we already talked about that in the let's see what uh just a second ago with the gizmo right uh, so if you kind of rewind this back a little bit you'll get a little bit of that but we do have a video on adding a credit button and setting up a game for free play make sure you check out that video and post and that should help you out as well um let's see danny says i bought an older golden tea board and noticed it is pinned differently uh been different are all golden teas like that uh it depends uh, it depends on the age of the golden tea most golden teas newer golden teas are jamma mm-hmm. or they're a specialized har- specialized harness um but every game every board is different and incredible technologies has gone through a lot of revisions of golden tea over the years and so make sure you check the pinouts for your specific model don't just assume that um, they're all jamma or that they're all alike make sure you look up the pinups for the one that you're working on so that way you know you get it right um, let's see. 
GameVet02 says, I grew up with a best friend since I was five years old. After he was 35 years old, I lost contact with him for a few years. And since then, he turned into a predator. You never know who it is. That's right. That's the problem is it's always the person you least expect. Yeah. I had a, a family member call and just, you know, really berate me for accusing him and all this stuff. And I said, look, he did it. And we know it. So distance yourself from that person. Watch who you're defending. Well, I've known him all these years. So I said, well, you don't. You never really know somebody, so you have to be careful. But I can tell you right now, he did it. So don't, don't. I would not defend this person. Right. Um, but I said I do. I do applaud my manager. She's like, you should fire that manager. I'm like, no. She, uh, she's not going anywhere. And uh, you know we. So it's always the person, you know, I watch, watch a lot of serial killer shows and stuff. It's always <laughs> right. that guy next door. It's a little weird, but you never thought he was just chopping up people in the back, right? <laughs> That's right. So be careful with oh, that. Golly. Uh, nice visual there, Tim. Yeah. I'm like getting it right now. <laughs> so. You just thought he had a lot of wood chopping to do, you know, with actual people, right? There you go. He, he seemed like he was burning a lot in the back. I don't know what the deal was. And he, he bought, like, C, CLR by, like, the gallon. Right. <laughs> Whatever the kids may be. Uh, not something we should get around about. No, Seriously, though, guys. Funny. You know, exactly. Just be on the lookout and have a plan in place for your establishment when it comes to that. Now, Tim, um, I watched a documentary. Okay. And typically we talk about this in the after show, except this okay. one's video game related. Right. So it kind of fits in with the live show. So with the regular live show. So we're going to talk about that real quick. And, Tim, there was a news story on it as well. Not for resale explores the difficulties of loving physical games. And Tim, this was a this was um, a documentary that's about basically you know these used video game stores and physical media and all that kind of stuff and how they're kind of going away because of digital, right? Right. So I'm going to read the little the little blurb here. The just released documentary, Not for Resale, peers into the lives of small business owners who run used game stores through their unique perspectives and interviews with gaming experts. Not for Resale offers an offers an inside look at the romantic side of vintage gaming, as well as the complex truths you might face when you build your life around them in an increasingly digital and fast-paced world. Now, Tim, I don't know. I just watched this, and, you know, I guess I was supposed to feel sad. You right. Know, I mean, but I didn't really feel sad. Is right. that weird? I mean, and I grew up with physical media. You did. Sure. But I don't feel sad about it. And I think the reason why is because almost everything I want to play now is available digitally, right? right? It's like, I mean, the physical media was great, and there's something about slamming a cart into a game system and turning it on and it working, right? There's no updates or anything like that. But now the video game industry has released so many, has re-released so many digital copies of like every freaking game that I ever want to play mm -hmm. that I almost feel like physical media is great for collectors and people who want to do that stuff, but do we need it anymore? Right. And like I said, I feel like the documentary was trying to make me feel sad. It's kind of like CD, but I wasn't sad about it's it. like CDs or DVDs, you know. Right. It's like I don't think about it when I go rent a movie on Netflix or, or uh, I'm on Prime Video or something. I just go, oh, rent, man, and I'm watching it. Right. I don't go think, wow, I didn't even have to get up off my couch and go change the player and blow on it, you know, <laughs> all that stuff that uh, comes with it. So, yeah, I, I, although I feel sorry for the store owners because right. at one time that was a popular deal to sure. go trade in your games and get some free and get all this stuff and get some money and buy new games and stuff. But um, I do feel for those those who invested so much of their life into it. And maybe you there's should feel for me that, too. You know, I still have my GameStop stock. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, <laughs> sure. It's pretty bad right now. But um, no, I mean, to me, look, it's sad. Like you said, that these people who built these businesses 
they're kind of going away, right? right? GameStop. I mean, there's a reason why GameStop stock is like at three bucks right now. Right. Okay. It's because physical media is going away. Okay. I understand that, but I don't know if I'm sad about it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of my at thing. the as the at the end user. You've you've, re, you've adapted exactly. and moved on to other methods. Right. Uh, it's not the only way you can play games this, these days. So, um, just just one of those how times change, you know. So I mean, I guess we're gonna go ahead and do a little debate on this. Okay. Maybe just a little one. I mean, you know. So uh, Tim, is going digital a good thing for the video game industry? And Tim, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but even arcades are starting to go digital. Oh sure. There's these new systems that you can get that you know you just download the games to the to the game to your arcade machine and you play them. Right. Okay, so I mean, it's not just you know standard video games; it's also arcade games. So, I mean, is going digital a good thing for the video game industry? And I guess we'll go ahead and take it from here, Tim, and we'll we'll give it a, a little mm-hmm. five second uh, reset, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the arcade debate segment for this evening. Tonight, Tim, uh, you and me just watched a documentary called Not for Resale that was basically on physical media and how used video game stores are doing nowadays and just kind of talking about how that era is kind of past us in a way, but how a lot of people are still romantic for it, I guess you could say. But the question we've got tonight kind of is brought up by the documentary, and that is, is going digital a good thing for the video game industry? Okay, and so... Tim, you know, just based on what you saw in the Not For Resale documentary, in your own personal opinion, what do you think is going digital a good thing for the video game industry? Well, since I'm quite a bit older than you, John, I will say, uh, I'll say no. I'll say that I'm old school. When I just bought a truck, well, one of the first things after, about three days after I had my truck, I realized I had no CD player. I'm like, where's my CD player? <laughs> How did I pay this much for a truck and it didn't come with a CD player? So I still have a lot of physical media that I use, so it's hard for me to make that change. What do you say? I say yes, Tim. I do think that digital is actually a good thing because, Tim, we're kind of getting the middleman out of the system in a way. I mean, you know, as much as I like video game stores, use video game stores, I mean... They were always kind of the middleman in all of our transactions. Now you buy direct from the publisher, right? And it seems like because of that, the cost of digital goods has gone down. I think we've seen that digital games in a lot of cases are cheaper than what you get with like full retail package games because they don't have to produce a physical piece with you. And I know a lot of people talk about nostalgia and how, you know, um, it's not the same. But Tim... A lot of the games that you want to play are available on digital now. Even the classic games from back in the day, and some of them are even being remade with better graphics and and you know and and just these gigantic teams that make the original games almost look you know like they're antiquated and they are. And so now I understand people being romantic for like I said playing something as it was originally intended, but I really have no love loss when it comes to physical media personally. So what what do you have to say to me about that? <laughs> well, John, I think that you know there's something about trading in your games and. Being being able to pick out a new one and it's not just about it gets you out of the house gets you off the couch you know you have to interact with people and you can go with your friends and things i i, I miss part of that and i hope that uh, that doesn't totally go away i understand where things are going and the cost but you know some games johnson are still pretty expensive and you're like why 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 is it so expensive just because it's the hottest game out or something uh, they're not always that much cheaper than they were when you got went to the store. But something that you brought up a lot, Tim, and I'm gonna gotta, I'm gonna use your argument against you is that <laughs> new games are still what price? 
60 right. bucks. How right. much was an Atari cartridge when you were a kid? $60. $60. Yeah, and they're, I mean, it's just amazing to me that the, the, the cost of a brand new video game has not fluctuated all that much, maybe $10 or so, since the Atari era, which is very interesting to me. But I mean, when you think about it that way, I think that's one of the things that's kept the prices down is the fact that the distribution channels have changed. And so by cutting out the middleman, the publisher gets a lot more of the profits and in some cases can offer lower prices to the customers. I mean, think about like the, the Apple App Store or the Android App Store and how cheap some of the games are on there. You know, I mean, it's just amazing to me. You can get remakes of old games on those app stores for like 99 cents. I mean, by the time you track down a physical copy, it'll probably cost you more than that. So... I mean, to me, like I said, as much as, look, I grew up in a era of physical media. I have physical media that got I, a closet full of I have a closet <laughs> full of games that I love. But, you know, I'm kind of getting to the point now where it's like I only want to keep some I only want to keep something physical if it has sentimental value for me. Like this is like maybe I keep that copy of, you know, Final Fight because this is the copy of Final Fight that I remember playing. But I'm not going to go buy another copy of Final Fight, another physical copy right. of Final Fight. You but, know? you know, I always like to get my... My son gets for his birthday like a new game or something. So how am I going to wrap that up now? I'm just going to say, here's the code numbers. Exactly. You know, text it to him or yeah. something. Happy birthday. You got it. <laughs> That's exactly what you do, though. Just you buy a digital card or whatever the right, case may be. It just doesn't seem the same to me than right. opening a present. I mean, some marketplaces, I don't know about all of them, will let you gift the game and actually send it to their email address. You gift the game. I know you can't physically open it up, but you're still giving them the gift. I mean, you know, so I understand that people are, you know are happy with physical media, like physical media, remember it fondly, whatever the case may be. But to me, I guess I'm past it. I mean, it's like I'll keep the stuff that I remember playing, the stuff that are my personal games I will always probably keep because it's the stuff I remember playing. But as far as like collecting and stuff goes, I can play what I want to play now. Almost everything's available to me. I don't need the physical part of it anymore, personally. I'll give you the last word. Well, you know, I'm still going to hold on. It's just kind of like an old record store. You know, <laughs> when I see one, I still want to go inside so I guess I'll until I die off, and my generation will just maybe we'll keep enough sh- shop owners in business for a little while longer. So here's the thing about records, though: records sound completely different than what it does on Spotify. You, now you you can argue that an emulation plays differently than like a real like a real system, right? Like maybe you can so. argue that to me it plays close enough that I don't care. But there's a difference between a record to me and like a digital copy of something. You lose quality in digital when it comes to audio because okay. like Spotify quality is not as good as the record quality. It isn't. So anyway, audio file talking, but that's different physical media to me. As far as emulation is going with, you know, some of these games that you can rebuy, I'm totally fine with that. So, but the real question is, what do you say? So let us know. I mean, is, is going digital a good thing? I say yes, Tim says no, but what do you think? Let us know in the comment section below, or you can reply back to this if you're watching on Twitter. And thank you so much for joining us for the arcade debate segment for this evening. We'll catch you next time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that done? So I know I'm going to get a lot of hate. No, it's just hard to it's hard to come up with any good points though for for it. Yeah, it's I really know. not. I think I think there's a lot of people who still love physical media. Yeah, they I love mean, it, but they're not spending money on exactly. it. Exactly, and that's <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm not spending money on it. If you're spending money on it, they'd still be around. Right. Um, let's see. Hello from the Buckeye State. I grew up with the eight in the eight track days. So I mean, do oh, you still yeah. have eight tricks around? Is the question, right? So. Let's see. Um, me too. I had an A-Track in my first car. A-Track instead adapter was the big thing and had one. Um, tell kids about, now about it. They think an A-Track, uh, they think it's A-Track on a tape. <laughs> yeah. I love digital, but I will always still keep buying physical medium whenever possible, as long as manufacturers keep producing it. That's from the, the real Hammer Billy Lee. So, 
Um, yeah, a lot of, I mean, look, I like physical media, but to me, the only physical media that's worth keeping around is the physical media that I remember playing right. and I actually owned. So the only stuff that's in that closet is stuff that I owned when I was a kid. Right. I There was a time I was going through and buying other stuff. Uh-huh. And I realized that that stuff didn't mean anything to me. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, the only stuff that meant something to me something were used. all the NES cartridges I wrote John on. Right. <laughs> and I still have them all. And one of these days, I'm going to die and all those cartridges are going to end up at a used game store. And I'm going to be like, this guy wrote John on all of his <laughs> So, but that, I mean, to me, that those were the things that, are, that mean something to me. Those cartridges. Yeah. I mean, and... I mean, I don't, I'm not going to game stores anymore looking for cartridges. Now, it's been a while. Exactly. Now, if there's a game that I want Olivia to play that she hasn't gotten a chance to play, then I may you know, I may go out and purchase it. But you can get the digital a lot of times. So you can right. get a digital version of it. So there's no reason to. So anyway. Okay. Now, enough of that. Um, Tim, we have a couple more stories here, but we also have some questions in the live chat. Danny says, have you guys ever injured yourself moving arcade games? Well, yes. Well, more than once. Yeah. More than once. Dropped them. All the time. But you had back surgery. Yeah. You moved them so many times. Um, I'm trying to think of like the worst. Really just bumps, bruises, and scrapes. Never broken anything. No, um, because no, nothing games. serious. But we um, definitely have got some splinters or yeah. something, you know. Sore to. Yeah. So, man. Um, you go to an arcade auction and you stay up until 3 a.m. moving games. And you, feel, you see how you feel the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, But we're always, uh, we always try to be really safe with that. Um, make sure that you're using, you know, good dollies, back braces if you need them. Lift from your legs, not from your back. Things right. like that. Very important to use proper technique. Um, but you know, just practice good safety. Two guys on a game makes it easy. And if you have the right dolly, you can you can move it by yourself. So it just really depends. Um, Danny says, "I did myself back injury, still recovering. Yeah, be careful. Mm. Be careful. Golly, guys, these things aren't light." No. Okay, so team, team. One time I got stuck at our storage building with a game halfway out and I couldn't stand it up. It was so heavy. Oh, yeah. Instead of trying to do it myself, I called my buddy. Yeah. So, in fact, that's why Brandon went to the XFL game with us. Right. Because Brandon was the one who saved me from having to pick that up. I couldn't have picked it up myself. I mean, I probably could have, but I'm, I was worried about tearing up my back. Right. Yeah, I don't want to do that. So, let's see. Um, anything else here? Yeah, be careful when moving games, though, always. So, Danny also says, I believe it's good, it's the future, but I agree with Tim, I'm old school. So, yeah. You know, everybody's different. But the problem with physical media is it takes up too much room. It's like, man, having, having the mm-hmm. physical stuff around just takes up too much room. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's different with arcade games, right? Like, these are, right. I mean, these are a little bit different to me. I mean, they're physical, but they're, you know, they're well, a self-contained a video yeah. game unit. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it's a little bit different than, like, what you get with, like, regular standard video games. But I'm, I'm really, at this point, Tim, I'm kind of past the physical... If it's something that I really care about, I'll get a physical, but otherwise, digital is fine. So, there we go. Okay, Tim, let's cover the rest of our stories here, and we're going to sign off for this evening. Uh, Tim, Stern Pinball is uh, has announced an exclusive limited run of the Heavy Metal Pinball Machine based on the adult animated sci-fi fantasy magazine. And you can go to our Facebook page, and actually Stern's Facebook page, to see all the photos of it, Tim. But the upcoming Heavy Metal table by Stern Pinball will be based on the adult animated sci-fi fantasy magazine. Stern Pinball was contracted to build this game like they were with the Primus table. The playfield layout will be the same as the Star Wars home pin designed by George Gomez. MSRP on Heavy Metal will be $8,299 compared to the Star Wars home pin, which had wow. MSRP of... 4,499. But Tim, I think there are a lot of heavy metal hardcore fans that are mm-hmm. going to be all over this thing, even though it's basically just a dressed up Star Wars home pin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, I mean, the home pin is not bad for what all it right. is. And I know the price on this is high, 
But like I said, if you're a collector, this is for you. Kind of okay. Thing. I mean, you're not going to get it otherwise. I don't think we're going to see many of them out and about, Tim. But there'll be some collectors that have this in their house and they'll be very happy with it. So, Next story here. Hasbro is relaunching classic Tiger Electronics Gaming handhelds. Hasbro, Hasbro will release four LCD games this fall. Now, Tim, I know these things are probably a little bit past your... Your, right. Yeah, let's say your uh, formative years like me. <laughs> but I had several of these things, and I love them all, especially the baseball one, okay. which was just great. Um, I know for you, that would have been like the little Hasbro like classic baseball or whatever mm-hmm. it is, handheld. For me, this was the equivalent of that. And it was herky-jerky, and the motions were terrible. And <laughs> like you know, it was just all kind of preset stuff. But man, I love these things. So they're going to release a Little Mermaid, Sonic the Hedgehog 3, Transformers Generation 2, and an X-Men Project X. The company says the games are inspired by their original counterparts, so there may be some changes to their design and functionality. A rechargeable battery isn't one of them, though. Still need two AA batteries to run. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not um, they're not included with the game, so you will have to purchase those separately. The MSRP will be $15, which is just the right price point for, you, for them to cash in on your nostalgia. Yeah, <laughs> so, that was a pretty good price point. That really is. I mean, 15 bucks. I think most people will be buying them. If you're going to buy one, let us know which one you, wa- you want to buy. Tim, I'm eyeing that Sonic, Sonic 3 or maybe the X-Men. Because um, I think I had one of those as well as the baseball one back in the day. I would take these things on trips and play them like the whole time. Oh, yeah. So, um, Super Nintendo Zack. Now, this is kind of silly, but yeah, heavy on the nostalgia here. Yeah, like these things are kind of silly, but heavy on nostalgia, guys. I mean, you know, I'll probably end up buying one just mm-hmm. just to play it. So, I mean, and you know, I, I hand it to uh, my daughter and she'll say, what is the he- what in the heck is this? Thing? Right. <laughs> 15 bucks, though. I mean, worse ways to spend 15 bucks. For right? sure. So, there you go. And Tim, this is the last story we have here, but very, I just wanted to, to show some recognition here. Uh, Jordan Dorrington of Cedar Rapids, Rapids, Iowa breaks Galaga world record in kitchen. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so not many people have a full-size Galaga arcade in their kitchen. But Jordan Dorrington of Cedar Rapids, Iowa does. Galaga is a Japanese arcade game released in 1981. Like I have to tell everybody right. listening to this, right. that, but you guys know. And let's just say Dorrington is addicted to it. Jordan recently broke the Galaga world record with 20,980,450. And yes, he did it in his kitchen. It takes 14 hours to break the record, so you need an incredible amount of skill, patience, and endurance. And we just want to say a big congratulations to Jordan. So, wow. Yeah, Jordan's actually one of my friends on Facebook, too. Wow. So, but uh, I tell you what, guys. I love Galaga. Mm-hmm. I love playing Galaga. Me too. My highest score is like 1.2 million. Right. So he's got me beat by like 19. <laughs> but um, I love to play the game. It's fun to play. Um, when people, how many people come up to you? And what's that space shooting game yeah. that uh, had the double ships? They always ships, call it so. Galaxian or something, but we know what they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Galaga is one of the, the probably the, if it is probably the most asked for game of all the games that we ever get asked about. Maybe, maybe a close second to Miss Pac-Man. But, I mean, Galaga's probably more than Ms. Pac-Man now. Maybe so. So, but uh, to have the high score in something like that, Tim, just shows that you're dedicated to it. So we want to wish Jordan, uh, uh, you know, congratulations for breaking that milestone. 14 hours. I can't even make it through two two hours. Now, you can park your ship and lose, you know, you you, you basically rack up a couple of extra ships, park it over to the side, go to the restroom, come back. I mean, Mm -hmm. there, there are some tips to it and everything like that. But uh, it still takes a lot of time to do it. 14 hours is no small amount of time. Nope. So there you go. Um, so Tim, I think that does it for the discussion. We'll check in with the live chat real quick. Um, the real Billy Ham- or Hammer Billy Lee says, I still have all my old Tiger handhelds somewhere in my basement. I love those. Awesome. Yeah, those things are awesome. Danny says, have you guys had a, di- a Dragon's Lair? What do you think about the disc games? So we, Stan had a Dragon's Lair. Right. Um, we've worked on Dragon's Lair before. Um, look, 
you know, the gameplay in most of those games is pretty non-existent in the fact that you really don't interact with the game so much. But I will say this, like, Dragon's Lair 2, when I was a kid, and I remember walking by that machine in the arcade, just how cool it looked. Mm-hmm. Remember? And, like, Dragon's Lair 1, even, like, it looks really cool when you walk by. The experience is not as good as it looks, obviously. Right. But it's still fun, and uh, working on them is a lot better than it used to be, because now they have, like, the, the little boards where you can store all the Laserdisc stuff, like, on an SD card and put it in right. there. The so, old Laserdisc players were a real pain. Yeah, the old Laserdisc players were tough <laughs> we to work on, keep working. Right, exactly. But um, but we prefer probably something like Mach 3 more, where it had graphics overlaid on top of the Laserdisc scenery. Uh-huh. So you still had more of an interactive element to it. Uh, Dragon's Lair, you know, is basically like a whole hit or miss, right? You mm-hmm. basically have to memorize the pattern to get past everything. Still a great game. Not knocking it in that respect. It's just not as interactive as what you get with like a traditional video game. So love to play Dragon's Lair. Love to play Dragon's Lair 2, Space yep. Ace. Um, Tim, you had a Mach 3. It was one of your favorite mm-hmm. games. Um Every Mach 3 that we've seen now is probably powered by MAME. I th- we've probably. seen a couple of them around, but I think they're always powered by computers. But like I said, they have the little boards now that you can get that will actually plug up where the Laserdisc used to be. You can do those as well. So, um, But yeah, we like the Laserdisc games, but you know, probably not enough to keep one in our collection. Is that, a, is that fair to say? Yep. So there you go. Especially with how much they go for. Like a Dragon's Lair, fully mm-hmm. restored, high dollar. So there you go. Um, Paul, they had some drama with Dragon's Lair a few years ago. Um, and I, you know, I don't even remember what the drama is. Paul will have to inform us on that. Um, but I'm not sure exactly what that is. I know that, uh, like I said, Dragon's Lair, I mean, you've seen it. The cool thing, Tim, is you can play that even on your DVD player. Right. Like, I don't know if you've seen it before, but they have the DVD disc that you can pop in. You can play on your uh, PC. There's enough PC versions of it and everything like that. But, um, it is, it was a fun play. It was fun to play. So there you go. Okay. While Paul is informing us of what the drama around Dragon's Lair was, I'm going to go ahead and read... Our reminder here that we want your arcade-related videos. If you want some free advertising for your YouTube channel, we're looking for people to submit short videos, 10 minutes or less, about arcade-related topics. Send a link of your video to questions at arcaderepairtips.com, and our staff will review it. If we like it, we'll use it during one of our live show episodes. Make sure you put a plug-in for your channel so people will know where to find you. We look forward to your submissions. And, Tim, we haven't gotten any um, submissions in a while, but we just want to put that out there every time. Because, uh, Tim, you know, we want to help. If you're not monetized right now, we want to help you gain some subscribers to get you monetized, especially if you're putting out arcade-related content. Mm-hmm. Tim, we're all about supporting people that we enjoy the content of, okay? We, uh, we have done this in the past. We will donate money to channels and things that we uh, that we like. So we want to also support you in the ways by playing a video of yours and hopefully getting you more subscribers. So if you're interested in that, please contact us at questions at arcaderepairtips.com and let us know, and we'd be happy to promote your video here if we review it and approve it. And then, Tim, we have a couple of uh, contact information uh, points here for people who are trying to get in contact with us. We have our general email at questions at arcaderepairtips.com, questions at arcaderepairtips.com. If you put live show on the subject, it'll get it mentioned here on the show. Um, Otherwise, we'll try to answer you at our earliest convenience. Again, questions at arcaderepairtips.com. That email goes to uh, you and me. Oh, Paul reminded me, the the, uh, drama with uh, Stan and, and his Dragon's Lair parts. Oh, yeah. Which he never got back. We'll give an update on that. Um, But again, questions at arcaderepairtips.com if you want to email us there. We also have our YouTube page, which if you're watching this live, you're actually on it right now. But for those of you guys who may be listening via the podcast, you can visit our YouTube page at youtube.arcaderepairtips.com. And we try to to, uh, review the comments from the last live show on the next episode. So if you have a comment on the live show, uh, we try to... Go over those on the next show. So again, youtube.arcaderepairtips.com, youtube.arcaderepairtips.com in order to uh, in order to view our YouTube content. 
And Tim, we have the podcast email, podcast at arcaderepairtips.com. Now, of course, Tim, that is for Eric and Rusty, who hosts the Question and Answer podcast. But we want you to support them, too. So make sure you subscribe to the Question and Answer podcast on iTunes at itunes.arcaderepairtips.com and Stitcher at stitcher.arcaderepairtips.com. Tim, we are also on Spotify as well. If you do a search for Arcade Repair Tips, you'll find us. But Tim, Eric and Rusty do a fantastic job. Just put out a new episode recently. Yes. And I just set, sent them another outline full of questions. So I'm expecting another episode coming very soon. So those guys are keeping the Question and Answer podcast alive. We want to thank Eric and Rusty for all of their hard work and for their awesome location down in Houston, Texas, the Game Preserve. So make sure you visit it if you're ever down there. And then, Tim, we have our social media pages. We have our Facebook page at facebook.arcaderepairtips.com, facebook.arcaderepairtips.com, and our Twitter feed at twitter.arcaderepairtips.com, where we post all of our great news stories information. And, Tim, we've had a little trouble with uh, stuff from the Facebook page being cross-posted to Twitter. I don't know if I need to redo the connection or something like that. But um, most of the time, the stuff that gets posted on Facebook also hits the Twitter feed. So you can comment it on it in either place but again facebook.arcaderepairtips.com and twitter.arcaderepairtips.com and we want to thank mark and louie for all of the updates they post there mark of course does most of our pinball updates so all of the news about heavy metal tim mm -hmm. was all thanks to mark thank you for doing that and then louie will chime in with some great news stories from time to time just interesting arcade facts and tidbits so thank them both for their tireless dedication to arcade repair tips can i say it like that is that a good way to say it so there we go and make sure you join our social media pages to keep up with all of the great arcade information you could ever want so tim i think we mentioned at the beginning of the show we are not doing an after show right because of some personal issues and so i'm sorry about that but um uh, we'll go ahead and check in one more time with the live chat. Paul said you guys were trying to get the boards fixed that had a postal disaster. Yes. yes. So our friend Stan at one time was trying to ship off his boards for repair. And Tim, he he sent it like 14th class or whatever the lowest yeah. class you could possibly send it was because it was heavy, right? right. Like all the parts together were very heavy. Well, apparently it didn't make it. And Stan just got back like the top of the box and a note saying it didn't make it. Right. And so he never got the now. parts back. I don't think. And so still looking for dragon's layer parts. If anybody has some around contact us and we'll forward it to him so he can get his up and running. But uh, yeah, um, postal service didn't come through in that particular point. Uh, most of the time Tim never have a problem. No, nope. but um, it, it on that one just you know had a ha mishap accident or whatever, and Stan ended up losing a lot of his uh, a lot of his dragon's layer parts out of his cabinet. So it happens, but mm -hmm. um, I think he filed a claim. I don't know if they ever paid out on the claim or not. Probably not. But it is what it is. So, so that was some of the some of the drama we had around dragon's layer. But mm -hmm. anyway, if you have dragon's layer parts you'd like to donate to Stan, he'd be happy to take them off your hands. I'm sure. So let's see. Danny says I love arcade games and thank you guys for the help you give the um. Uh, the wife kind of gets mad when I add another, LOL. Well, you know, uh, that's just part of being married mm -hmm. to somebody who's in the arcade games. Right. <laughs> that's what I would tell her. No, uh, always keep your wife happy. Happy wife, happy life. Right. There you go. So, uh, you know, just uh, be careful the way you present it to her. You know, that's what I would say. Right. Exactly. I bought you a new game, honey. <laughs> exactly. There you mm -hmm. go. Are you going to do the Homer Simpson bowling ball thing? Yeah. Is that what you're really <laughs> yeah, advocating right. for? Anyway. So there you go. Um, game Vet 02, my wife will not let me get any more. It happens. Guys, be happy with what you have. Right. Sell something. Get another one. There you go. Uh, the Rexer Show. Thanks, guys. Games, Good not show. Wives. As always. What? Games, not wives. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We don't, don't let the games break up your happy <laughs> relationships. Yeah, don't do that. So, Razor Show says, thanks, guys. Good show, as always. Well, thank you for being here, and thank everybody for being here tonight, Tim. Yeah. Um, and like I said, kind of an abbreviated show tonight. We went a little bit faster than usual, just so we could get everything in. Tim, we may have to do an after show, like, after the fact 
Maybe so. So we may do a Skype interview with you okay. or something where we can talk about it here in the coming weeks. And if we do, I'll post it in the show notes for this show. And we'll post it up on social media so you guys can watch that if you're interested. But the main thing we were going to talk about in the after show was Tim and mine's trip to the Dallas Renegades All XFL right. game. So that if we do get around to doing an after show, that will be the topic. But um, for tonight, no after show. So uh, we're going to let you go here. And Tim, do you have... Anything else that you want to say before we, we leave out tonight? No, thanks again for everybody for watching, and uh, look forward to next month. Sounds good. And, Tim, I think that's going to be four short weeks away, so it's not like you have to wait that long. And we'll be back with more of your questions, comments, and all the great stuff arcade repair related, all the mm-hmm. discussion and anything else that you guys want to talk about. And, again, you guys can always email us, questions at arcaderepairtips.com to get that in. Danny says, you got a game uh, You got a game the wife likes. Get a game the wife likes. Right. That's exactly right. Find out what game she likes, buy that one. That one will always get you in the door. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so uh, we want to thank all you guys for joining us this evening. And remember here at Arcade Repair Tips, when you fix the game, you, you play, play the, the game. game. Good night, everybody, and we'll see you next month. Take care. Thank you for watching this episode of the Arcade Repair Tips live show. All of our past episodes are available on our website at ArcadeRepairTips.com or on our YouTube page. This show is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is a Varcade Entertainment production.